I'm Melissa. And I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast is up to understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Well, today we're recording remotely, so we wanted to warn you guys that if the sound quality is a little different, that's why. We kind of lucked out. Um, Melissa actually had some stuff at her house she didn't know about and from her roommates. And then I had our, our gear um, that we normally use with me. And so we were able to do this and we'll see how it goes. But just want to let you all know to bear with us if there's any weird, strange situations where we'll try to iron those out and make the listening experience as good as possible for you guys. But obviously we did not expect to have to adapt so quickly to remote podcasting. Yeah, this is all very, very unexpected, but we're trying to make the most of it. And we're really glad that it worked out that we had this stuff that we need to be able to still teach some chemistry to you guys. Okay, this is kind of fun because I can see like my roommate's dogs outside the window, (laughs) (laughs) so it's kind of different. Okay, so today's episode is actually two episodes. Uh Uh-oh. The first part comes out this week, and then I'm going to have the next part for you next week. Awesome. This is also the first time Jam's hearing about this, too. So not just you listeners, but Jam didn't know I was tricking him into doing two episodes at once. Yeah. Okay, so actually today's topic, helium, is was from questions from two listeners. So one uh, listener was Esther R. Mm-hmm. And she asked, how does helium make your voice change? Which is a mm-hmm. great question. And then my mom asked, she actually texted me one day and asked me, If there was a helium shortage, because she'd heard commercials for mining helium due to a helium shortage, and she thought it sounded kind of like a scam. Oh, weird. (laughs) Yes. So she, uh, I think she texted me and asked me that when she heard that on the radio. And those are the two questions that we're going to talk about today. Is there a helium shortage? And then for next week, how does helium change your voice? So I decided to do the why if there's a shortage on helium because i think that question needs to be answered before we make any decisions about changing our voice with helium you know what i'm saying right 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 right. okay so when they asked me these questions i knew the basic answers but i Mm -hmm. went ahead and looked into it like i always do just to make sure and while i was looking in and like digging into everything I found out so much more and it was so exciting. <laughs> it was so delightful. I found out so many crazy cool things, including one fun um, direct quote that I was like, oh, Jam is going to love this. I can't wait to read it to him. <laughs> oh, dude, nice. I'm excited. I've always been fascinated with helium and have known so little about it. I do remember, I think, watching something or maybe a teacher at some point trying to describe to me about the voice changing part. But um that would be like way back in my memory. So I'd have like barely a spitball of a guest to figure out what that is. But the shortage thing, oh, interesting. zero idea about what's going on there. I've never even heard of, I never even thought about where helium comes from and how we get it. Like that is how little I've thought about if there's even enough of it also. That's so interesting that you hadn't heard about that. And that's part of why I wanted to do this because when I was thinking about talking about helium with your voice changing, I was like, we can't really talk about that without talking about the shortage. And I I think, yeah, there are a lot of people who don't know. So, but it's well known in the scientific community. And helium is what we put in our cars, right? It's what our cars used to (laughs) drive. Something like that, right? No, don't spread misinformation. Also, it's so interesting that you are so fascinated by helium. I 
I don't feel like I would have given helium any thought at all if it wasn't for me being a chemist. I think I just and because it's got two interesting things, which I guess really are part of the same thing, probably probably the part of the same thing probably from the chemistry standpoint, but uh, their ability to uh, like a balloon floats and just can go up yeah. and up and up. And then also the voice changing thing. Those are two things that as a kid are obviously awesome. Balloons are the best. Your voice changing and being funny is the best. But yeah. as an adult, the part of me that's still a kid uh, still loves those things and still is like, yeah, I never really, there's still some magic there that didn't Uh-oh. ever get lost for me. I'm going to take that magic away. Well, I mean, oh. I, I like I said, some teachers have tried to like explain it, but it is still, it's still magical, I would say. Yeah. Or maybe I'll enhance your magic. There we go. I think, th- I think the science part enhances it for, for a lot of us. Okay. Before we talk about anything else, okay. helium is very important. Okay. It's an inert gas and because it cools at such a low temperature, it's very, or it becomes a liquid at a low temperature and it's liquid form. It's very valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, helium is used in a ton of medical and scientific equipment and it's like MRIs, NMRs. They're both used to either save lives directly by taking imaging of MRIs. When my mom was in the hospital, she got tons of MRIs to help us know what was going on in her body. Mm-hmm. And for NMRs, that is a scientific equipment that basically helps us look at molecules the same way MRIs look at human bodies. Mm-hmm. And both of them use very similar, well, the same technology. So both of mm-hmm. those use helium. It's in a, in a quite a few other things in terms of scientific equipment and medical equipment. It's used in other things for sure. Those are the two big ones that I think of. It's also, I think, used in scuba diving. So helium is used in a lot of places besides just balloons. Okay. So it's important. It's important for science. It's important for medical health reasons. It is also wildly, insanely expensive. Oh, I actually found one article that said that there were some scientific researchers who had to forfeit their salaries over the summer in order to afford it for their lab. Whoa. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. That's so crazy. that's crazy. I know. And it's also really concerning because the answer to the question, is there a helium shortage, is yes. Oh, no. There is a shortage of helium. So the scientific community is concerned. One video, the one about... Um, there's an ACS reactions video about brewing beer, mm-hmm. aerating it with helium. The scientist in that video said he considers that to be one of the foremost problems facing the scientific community or the chemistry community, at least, uh-huh. is the shortage of helium. Huh. So very big deal. Helium, very important to science and medicine. And also there is a shortage. And also that's a scary shortage. Dang. Yikes. But here's the thing. Helium is the second most abundant element in the universe. Really? So the question then is, if it's the second most abundant element in the universe, why is there a shortage? That is a, yeah, that's a crazy question. Also, is carbon the first? No, hydrogen's the first. Oh, okay. I was kind of wanting to go in to talk about all the reasons that, that, Hydrogen is the most and helium is the second most. And basically it has to do with how helium forms, Mm -hmm. but we didn't have time to do that and talk about the shortage and talk about balloons changing your voice. So, yeah. And 
I have reached out to an astrophysicist to talk about the origins of the elements. So hopefully we'll be able to do a whole episode on that. Nice. And that would be not just helium, but other elements as well. And would Mm -hmm. kind of be a uh, all in one. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So it's super important. It's the most abundant element in the universe, but not on the planet. Ah, universe, but not planet. Okay. I was like, for some reason, I didn't think about that uh, (laughs) little qualifier there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. You're like, how could there possibly be an abundance if, or a shortage if it's the most second most abundant in the universe? Is because helium does not stay very well on our planet. Mm. It's very light. It's the second lightest element behind hydrogen. And it's so light, in fact, that it can escape the gravitational pull of the Earth. So it doesn't stay here in our atmosphere. Okay. There is helium in our atmosphere, like in the air that we're breathing, Mm -hmm. but it is very expensive to try to harvest helium from the air. And actually, they had a similar problem with nitrogen um, a long time ago because nitrogen is used to fertilize plants and help food grow. Oh, yeah. And they invented a process, you might have heard of it, called the Born-Haber cycle to fix nitrogen. Huh. It's there's a really interesting episode about Radiolab about it. So basically, you it's a way to fix nitrogen in the air and to make it usable to fertilize plants and everything. Yeah, they haven't come up with a cost-effective method of doing that for helium. Hmm. So the the helium in the air is basically not worth it. It's kind of a moot point. Yeah, it's too light to stay in the universe, or it's too light to stay in the atmosphere, and it's really hard to fix the helium that's in the atmosphere into usable helium that we have Mm -hmm. on hand. So there's only one place left for us to get helium. Do you want to guess where that is? Um, Okay, so we're not going to go out to space just to get it right now. Nope. That'd be even more expensive than trying to just process what's in our air, right? Most Mm -hmm. likely. Um, In our air, it's too hard to get it. How about beneath us that's exactly right dang it why would there be helium down there (laughs) so there have been radioactive materials in the core of the earth that have broken down and let off helium atoms for years and years oh and they are trapped under the earth's surface i was gonna say like helium what are you doing down there come on get out of here get out of there (laughs) so yes now can you imagine if we can't trap the helium from our air and we can't trap the helium, we only can trap the helium under the ground, how mm-hmm. hard it would have been to actually discover helium. Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. How, what the heck? That was one of the crazy, crazy cool stories that I found. Oh, I, so, I'm in. I'm ready. I know. It's so cool. So they discovered helium in outer space before they discovered it on Earth. Seriously? Mm-hmm. So huh. they, I'm not sure exactly what tools they were using, but basically they were observing a supernova, mm-hmm. I think, in the 1860s. Okay. And they saw, it's hard to explain, but basically each element has like a fingerprint of light that it gives off. Mm-hmm. It's called an emission spe- spectrum. And so they saw 
a type of that fingerprint that they hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. And they were like, wait a second. That's a new element. So then it took them nearly 30 years mm-hmm. to, to find it on Earth after that. And it was someone who was studying the nitrogen in rocks, captured some gas, studied the gas, and realized it was the same gas that they had seen in the supernova. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? That's insane. So wait, you said it was 30 years later? What? It was It was almost, I think it was like 27 or something I might like have missed that. it. Did you say what the first year was when they were, saw the fingerprint, light fingerprint? I think it was 1868. Okay, man, that's crazy. I can double check real quick. Okay, I went real quick to check the article and see if the date was right. And the date was right. It's 1868. But I was wrong about the supernova. It wasn't a supernova. It was an eclipse of Mm. the sun. It says it was um, a total solar eclipse. Okay. So, and this was actually really fun because I found an old paper that was written in 1920 for the journal Nature, which is still a really big deal. Mm -hmm. That is still a really well-known and renowned journal. And it just talks about Mm -hmm. the discovery and applications of helium. It was so fun to read and (laughs) sort of feel like I was a part of the history of chemistry. So I found all kinds of really cool stuff, like I said, when I was researching this. So I went back and looked at that 1920 article to confirm the year and that it was a solar, a total solar eclipse, not a supernova. Wow. So that's the, the history of how they discovered it and then how they discovered it on earth when they were treating rocks to get the nitrogen gas to come out, captured the gas, and it was actually helium Mm -hmm. gas instead. And it was 27 years after they found it in space, which it's so amazing to me that in the 1860s, they could even study space. Yeah, that's that's one thing that kind of blew my mind because you could have said like somewhere in the middle of the 1900s and I was was still amazed. Like, oh, they saw this like weird light fingerprint and they noticed that that must have been some element, blah, blah, blah. Like it's kind of amazing no matter when you put it no matter when you place it in time, but 1860s or whatever, that's nuts. I know. It really is crazy. So all that to say, there is a helium shortage right now for sure. The -hmm. way they get helium from under the ground is they mine it as a byproduct of the natural gas industry. Okay. So, you know. That makes sense. But it doesn't always make sense financially for them to do that. So mm-hmm. I read, it was hard to do this without my textbooks. I relied heavily on the National Geographic and the Scientific American. But I read and that they're you don't actually. Your, sorry. And you don't have your textbooks because they are. They are locked in my office. Right. So I was at home taking care of some family stuff. Yeah. At my parents' house. And then I came back to Denton and attempted to go to my office and was informed that our university had been entirely locked down and I was not allowed to go to my office. Yeah. University and our whole town and county. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I am going to have to get special permission to meet up with someone who is essential staff to be allowed to go on campus I'll say six foot apart from her and try to go get my things that I absolutely need to be able to teach class because I am without quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. 
So I relied heavily on digital resources, National Geographic, Scientific American, and I have two digital textbooks that I used basically to write this whole story. <laughs> nice. Digital for the win. Digital for the win. So glad I invested time in getting those digital resources on my computer a few years ago. Yeah. But I don't have my modeling kit, which for an organic chemist who's going to have to review all of OCHEM 1 and OCHEM 2 prior uh, to the final that happens the end of the semester, it is a bit of a bummer yeah. to not have that. So we'll see what I can do. So you using some marshmallows, some toothpicks, some straws. Some <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That would actually, I've told my students before they can use marshmallows. Yeah. But okay. So um, back back to our story. I don't know why I said that. It's so weird. It's so much harder to do this in a new environment. I know. I'm like listening to everything happening, wondering if you can hear it. Yeah. Okay. So going back to our stuff about helium, it doesn't, because it doesn't always make sense financially for them to process the helium byproduct. Mm -hmm. There are literally only 14 plants in the world that refine helium into liquid form, according wow. to this National Geographic article. Wow. Seven of those are in America. And... This is really exciting to me and probably to Jam because just six hours away from us oh, in Amarillo, Texas, uh huh, a place that I've spent quite a bit of time, one of my closest friends grew up in Amarillo, that family I was telling you about that got me to love Halloween, they're oh, yeah. from Amarillo, yeah. and actually my significant other, his family is from Amarillo. I've spent mm -hmm. a lot of time in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. So in Amarillo, Texas, just six hours away from us, there is the Federal Helium Reserve. Uh-huh. And I had no idea about this, but Amarillo is the helium capital of the world. What? I know. Isn't that crazy? Little Amarillo? Like, what? I know. I thought Amarillo... Literally, I described Amarillo as thinking that it was a major city like DFW, but actually just being a little town in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. No offense, guys over there. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. There's a lot of places like that. Yes. And now I realize how wrong that I was. Yeah. Because it's actually the national helium cap. It's the helium capital of the world. And of course, that does make them a bustling metropolis. <laughs> so, it does sure. make them a pretty big deal. Yeah, really big deal. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like we didn't even think about the helium industry, and it's like everybody's parents and stuff like that are employed by the helium industry over there or something. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea. It's the so Silicon Valley of, or it's the Helium Valley, or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that that was amazing. That is so crazy. I seriously would never have expected that. I've been there a bunch of times too. Most as a kid, I haven't been there in, in a number of years now. But I just would never have suspected. Not that I would have thought, no, no, not that anyone would have been able to peg it. It's like, oh, yeah, that seems like the, the kind of place for helium for sure. But yeah, so weird. I know. I know. It really is so weird. Well, you go, Amarillo. You go, Amarillo. And this is where I found the excerpt that I thought that you would really appreciate. So I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. Awesome. This was on an article from Atlas Obscura. It was an article about Amarillo because mm -hmm. they have a monument called the Helium Time Column Monument. So it's stainless steel and it was built in 1968. Does that date sound familiar? It does. Wait, it's you said 1968? 1968. So 100 years. A hundred years after the discovery of helium, it was built in Amarillo. 
And it, so it has four capsule columns for time capsules. Okay. And each one of them hold like books and artifacts and things that will tell future generations about what life was like in 1968. Mm -hmm. And it reminds them of the importance of efficiently using natural resources, which I thought was kind of cool because the helium is in a shortage. Mm -hmm. So it's cool that they're talking about efficiency of using things. And it's welded into four helium-filled columns. Mm -hmm. So each of those columns will be opened, I think it's 25, 50, 100, and 1,000 years. Wow. On, right? Well, here's the line that I thought you would love. It said, in May 1993, the first time capsule was opened during a two-day celebration. In 50, 100, and 1,000 years from a time of filling, the remaining three columns will be opened, assuming we haven't run out of natural resources and there is anyone left to open them. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so dark. Yeah, it is. It's really... It's like really just trying to be realistic, but whenever you're that <laughs> starkly realistic, it does sound dark. Assuming I know. it's like if you say it with a flat tone too, assuming there's even anyone alive to care or even be here, <laughs> any conscious sentient beings to. Uh, I just thought it was really hysterical and so dark and funny and the exact type of thing that you would appreciate in the middle of an article about a time monument. So <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, so I thought that that was really funny. I like that. So helium, I I knew it. I was like, I can't wait to read this to jam. (laughs) Okay, so that's pretty much it. I just wanted to talk to you today about the reason there's a helium shortage, even though it's the second most abundant element in the universe. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to let you know about the fact that it's a big deal to scientists because... Helium really matters for literally life-saving research and medical imaging. Yeah. And I wanted also to encourage you guys to not use helium to fill your balloons. So I looked into it and actually a pretty small percentage of helium is used annually in filling balloons. But one interview I read, the person, it was a scientist, basically said, I think we're just going to look back and be amazed at the fact that we allowed Helium, which is such a valuable resource to be used on such frivolous activities. Yeah. And I really agree with that. I think in time we'll look back at our usage of helium in balloons and in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and all of that and just wonder why we didn't regulate it sooner. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Who knows how many things we'll think that about, but this seems like definitely one of those ones that for a lot of us regular folk would not have even crossed our minds. I mean, seriously, would have never thought that that would be an important thing to be saving. You know what I mean? It just kind of seems like because most of us don't know about those important uses in science and medicine, uh, we we just think of it as a really fun kind of thing. So it's like, unless you start with that, those important uses, people don't, won't be convinced at all that it's like important to save or whatever. So that's, yeah, that's crazy. It is really crazy and amazing. I think, um, just that helium is so well known for that one thing mm-hmm. and not for its, you know, really life altering properties that we use it for. And I think that's true of a lot of science. Like science, chemistry especially is known for blowing stuff up and people constantly ask me if I can make meth. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can do that. But also I can make life-saving medicine. That's also what chemistry does or yeah. 
chemistry is the reason your soap works, you know, <laughs> it's like chemistry is everywhere and we only know it for this like banner things that we learn. Yeah. Do you want to know how, so. how time capsuled my memory of helium is? Oh yes. I'd love to. So I cannot think of helium without thinking of my earliest memories of interacting with it as a kid are balloons that my brothers and I would get at Blockbuster. <laughs> Blockbuster would always have these colored balloons with their logo on it that you could buy mm -hmm. uh, that were filled with helium. And I could not tell you why they did that. Like in my mind, it makes so much sense, at least as a kid, that they had helium <laughs> tanks and balloons and sold them in their video rental store. So don't know what was going on there. Maybe they just knew that they could actually sell them because kids come in. But Oh, 100%. They were just, they saw an opportunity and they took it. Yeah. But as, as a kid, we I loved getting those balloons and we would like, I, I can't not think of Blockbuster, which is funny now because it's so, you know, gone and it's its own example now of, of the past in a, in a way yeah. of a, a very specific, you know, chunk of time where that was like the king of, of home media and potentially also could be the case with helium where we look back and think of it as like this time period where we use it in a way that was irresponsible. And yeah. it's funny that those are so linked for me at least, but that is funny. Um, on the topic of balloons, mm -hmm. my sister, friend of the podcast, Renee Collini, sea level rise extension worker expert mm -hmm. was with me when I was writing this episode up yeah. and she wanted me to tell you that I would be remiss. Well, she told me that I would be remiss if I didn't mm -hmm. tell you that balloons are terrible. Mm -hmm. They're bad for the environment. The plastic can end up in whale stomachs just as much as your straws or your grocery bags or whatever. Mm -hmm. So please eliminate your use of one-time plastic in addition to eliminating your use of helium. Mm -hmm. So try to not use balloons filled with helium or regular air for the environment and the medical and scientific industries. So balloons are a double whammy. They're a du double offender. Yeah. Dang. Isn't that crazy? Seriously. That makes sense though. Yeah. So there's not really like a, like a thing for me to explain back per se, but should I try to my best to recap what I understood from this episode? Yes, I was thinking it would be beneficial for you to explain why there's a helium shortage, even though it's very abundant in the universe, and whatever other fun facts that you gleaned from this episode. So it's a little bit different, yeah. but I think it's really worth it before we dive into the question of how helium changes your voice. Totally, totally. Okay, so um, helium is the second most abundant in the universe, element in the universe. Mm -hmm. That's not true, though, within our specific planet. And it's in the air, but it's hard to capture and use that way. It's out in the solar system, but it doesn't make sense to try to go just go get it or something, as if our space travel is to that level where we can just run some errands out there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it... I'm trying to remember exactly... You said it just doesn't really stay in one place very well, right? So if it's in the air, it's just kind of all around mixed with all the other gases that are in the air as well. 
It's mixed in with all the other gases, so it is in the air, but there's a specific reason it can escape Earth's atmosphere. Do you remember what that was? Is it because it's one of the lightest Yes. Atoms? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is it also, what, what number is it in terms of lightness? It's number two. Okay. So helium is the second on the periodic table. Hydrogen is the first. So they're also, uh, in terms of like weight, they're also in terms of, you said hydrogen is the most abundant. So they're, yes. they're both. But it doesn't follow after that. So the first and second on the periodic table are first and second lightest, and they're the first and second most abundant. But I don't think it follows be that trend beyond the first and okay. second Got it. elements. The, the mass follows, but the abundance doesn't follow. So it can rise super easily and escape our atmosphere really easily. Right. And go back, go out and be with its friends in space. Um, <laughs> yeah. Unlike us, we can't be with our friends in space. Right. Not yet. We're coming, guys. Um, so the place where it can be found most easily is the place where it can't really escape, which is underground um, mm -hmm. in pockets where other gases might also be. And it's not floating right. up because at least until it's uncovered, it can't. And so we've got some helium in pockets underground somewhere. And that's our, own, that's our easiest and cheapest way to get it. Yes. Rather than trying to figure out how mm -hmm. to suck it out of the air. Right. Interesting. Man, that's crazy. Is that right? It is crazy. Yeah, that was right. That was that was great. And then everything else I shared with you is pretty much just fun facts that I was really excited about as I was learning about chem the chemistry of helium, so or the history of helium. So And a, a huge takeaway for me that we already reiterated a little bit was just how important it is in in other things like science and medicine, which I had zero yes. idea about. So even caring at all about how hard it is to get, it's like before this recording, I would have been like, oh no, we can't do the parades anymore. Dang. Right. It if you knew there was a shortage, that's all you'd think. Yeah. And I wouldn't yeah. have thought that's a big deal. Okay. We'll, we'll find some way to make these balloons float. We'll like, you know, put drones on them or something, but <laughs> put uh, drones on them. Yeah. That <laughs> would probably work. Um, but knowing how useful it is for very important life-saving science and medicine does make a huge difference. And then, then knowing it's a shortage, just like, oh, dang, that's we got to figure that out. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. And I think it's a scientists are going to have to really be creative in figuring out ways to either continue using those things without helium and or figure out how to fix helium from the air mm -hmm. and use it in a cost-effective way. Yeah. Okay, well, that's it for this week. Um, instead of doing something that happened in our weeks, Jam and I wanted to do something a little different this week. Mm -hmm. So this week we wanted to dedicate this episode to my mom. She's the person who asked me this question and I've shared some about her battle with cancer. It was a very aggressive cancer. She was diagnosed in December and this past week she passed away and we felt it would be not genuine to just gloss over that. And we try to be open with you guys about what's going on in our lives and You've heard a lot about my mom through this show, so we really wanted to take a minute to honor her, and I wanted to share some stuff about her. 
for this episode. So we're going to go ahead and dedicate this episode to her. And don't worry, I answered her questions about helium, although I didn't know everything (laughs) when she asked me about it. She actually asked me several years ago about helium. So I did answer her. Uh, I wish I could share even more of this stuff with her now because I know she'd be so excited. Mm -hmm. But she was really the kindest, most genuine person I've ever met. And I know a lot of people say those things about their mom, but I've I have honestly never heard a single person speak ill of her. She was gentle and she was very intelligent and she was so empathetic and curious. Every person who she ever worked for said she was an incredibly hard worker and she had such a strong sense of what's right and wrong. I remember when we were little, she would work extra hours to get all her paperwork done, but she felt like it was important she should have been able to get it all done in her normal 40 hour work week. So she would never log in for overtime. You know, she just really wanted to be honor her work commitment and to work well and hard, which I just is amazing to me. Just like what a good person, not greedy, not trying to get extra, just trying to do the best job she could do. And I really felt it was important to honor her in this podcast because she's the person who, sorry, is a little emotional. She's really the person who fostered a love of learning in me. Um, She loved science and she was constantly pursuing knowledge. She loved going to conferences and learning about her job. She was a hand therapist. So there was a scientific element to learning about hands and how they worked and what methods were the best to facilitate rehabilitation and hand usage after strokes and stuff. And she just loved learning about that even to the very end. And she taught us so much. When we were children, we didn't have a lot of money. And she worked really hard to make sure that we still learned. And we had a good, rich, full of love and laughter and learning childhood. And that is why this podcast is here today. I mean, so many other people have helped along the way, but she planted that seed for me. And she was so excited about the podcast. Um, When we started it, she was so excited. She would listen and ask me questions about every single episode. And even before that, like in this episode, she would always text me and ask me questions about chemistry. And she said that without me in her life, there was a lot she would have missed about chemistry. And she was so thankful that I shared that with her. And that's part of what I hope people take away from this podcast is learning about chemistry and taking some of that curiosity and love of learning that my mom had and having that in your life. So I just really wanted to take a minute to share that about her, that she really showed me how to love learning and be excited about learning and made me want to share it with people because she was always so happy to hear about it. And I really want you guys to be able to have some of that in your life as a result of this podcast as well. And I just also want to remind you that life is really short (laughs) and you should gather the people that you love around you and spend time with them and pursue work that you love and that brings you joy and that brings joy to other people. So because of all that, we'd like to dedicate this episode to Alice. Wherever you are now, I love you, mom. I'm fine. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do that and share that with her, share about her with you guys here on the podcast. And thanks for learning and loving learning, Jam. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate that from all of you guys as well. All of our listeners have been so amazing and have given me a really good opportunity to turn off my brain and remember 
why I love my job through this whole experience. So I'm really thankful to all of you guys. And uh, me and the rest of the listeners want to thank your mom for uh, for doing that and for teaching you. And, and we're thankful. I'm thankful that to get to do this and I'm thankful that you love science so much and that you want to share with me and so many other people. So Alice, thanks so much for having such a special daughter and for sharing her with all of us. Uh, Melissa and I have a lot of ideas of topics for chemistry in everyday life, but we want to hear from you. So if you have questions or ideas, you can reach out to us at Gmail or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Chem for Your Life. That's Chem, F-O-R, Your Life, to share thoughts and ideas. If you enjoy this podcast, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like it, you can write a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to be able to share chemistry with even more people. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the costs of making it, go to ko-fi.com slash chemforyourlife and donate the cost of a cup of coffee. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. References for this episode can be found in our show notes or on our website. Jam Robinson is our producer, and we'd like to give a special thanks to In Newell and V. Garza, who reviewed this episode. Mm-hmm.